Uh, Psalm 22 is where we're going to start today. Uh, we're going to jump around quite a bit. We're not going to just stay there. We're going to jump around different places. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You came in, you got an outline. All of the scripture is in there. Um, we're also going to throw it up on screen. Uh, we are in the last week of a series called Recalculating. Um, this series was supposed to go one more week, um, but since we've been talking about changed plans and what to do when plans change on this entire series, it just seems like just the way God works to say we're going to start something different next week. Um, next week, I'm really excited about the series next week. Um, we're starting a series called Armor Bearers, and it's going to be really unique um, in as we haven't done anything like what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks um, since I've been here. Um, and so it's going to be really, 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 really cool. You're not going to want to miss any of the weeks um, for the next four. Um, gonna, it's just going to be um, it's one, of those, one of those times um, in our church uh, where things get to, get to, we really get to reflect on, on where we want to go and what we need to do. Um, and then that series is going to launch us into Christmas. Uh, can you believe that the Christmas series is coming up in like five weeks? So um, that's absolutely crazy. I don't even want to think about that right now. So recalculating, let's get back into this series. Um, we've been talking about what to do when plans change. And um, kind of the, the theme statement, if you will, that we've used throughout this entire series is God loves you, is always with you, and has greater plans for you. And we've talked about how that sounds great, and that sounds wonderful, and that's flowery and that's awesome and pastoral and all these things that sounds good um, but it's hard to embrace when plans change especially when plans change in the way that you don't want them to when when they're when when plans are different than the plans that you have for your life or the plans that you have for your family or the plans that you have for church or the plans that you have for blank when plans change and they don't go our way we often get disappointed in fact, that's really what I want to talk about today, about us getting disappointed with God. Now, I know in, in, in a church culture, um, we're not supposed to talk about that. We're not supposed to ever talk about we get mad at God, or we get angry at God, or we get confused with God, or we get disappointed with God. We're always supposed to be happy about it. We're supposed to talk about rainbows and puppy dogs and lollipops and balloons and all of that. But the reality is that some of us get that way, yes or no? Yes. Some of us get upset. Some of us get disappointed. Some of us get frustrated. Some of us get confused. Some of us get downright angry. I talked to you um, a couple of weeks ago that sometimes we feel abandoned by God. Like sometimes we feel like he just drops us off on some deserted island and tells us, hey, good luck finding your way off, right? And, and, and when that happens, we begin to get super confused. And we begin to, to seriously doubt the plans of God. And, and we begin to look at our life and we begin to think, man, is this... Is this really it? Is this really what it's all about? And when we get there, we begin to offer up prayers, and we begin to, to cry out to God. And, and, and often when we're in that point, our prayers seem to go unheard. You know what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes we pray for something and it didn't happen, or God didn't give us what we thought should happen, and we get angry. But again, we don't say we're angry, right? We say we're working through some issues. And, and we feel, when we feel angry with God, or when we feel abandoned by God, usually what happens is, is, is we start taking steps away from Jesus, right? People begin to turn their back on Jesus and begin to, to look at other things. But one of the things that I've discovered in ministry over the years is people, people seldom walk away from Jesus because of who Jesus is. 
People walk away from Jesus or they get angry at God or they get frustrated at God or they feel abandoned by God for other reasons. And so, and so today, what we really want to look at, like, listen, if you've ever felt angry or, or wondered, like, does, does God even hear me? Does God even care about me? Like, does God even know that I exist? Like, like does he even, can he even look over heaven and, and even see me? See, see, typically people look down on Christians when we think thoughts like that, right? But there's a guy in the Bible, his name is David. Um, David was king one time. We know him because he killed Goliath, right? That's his most popular story. Um, but the Bible calls this guy a man after God's own heart. Like, like that's, that, that's the, the, the terminology that is used to ultimately describe David. Among all the things that he did, all the good things and all the bad things, towards the end it says that, that David is a man after God's own heart. And, and this is what Psalm 22.1 says, and this is, what, this is what David writes. The guy after God's heart writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I'm just kind of curious, how many people ever felt like that? Anybody? Bo- both my hands are up. David, King David, the man after God's own heart is saying, God, where are you? Oh, and, and by the way, there's somebody else that quoted this in the New Testament. His name, anybody want to guess what his name is? Jesus, right? From the cross, this is the psalm that Jesus quoted when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and so let me say this, if David... A man after God's own heart has ever felt abandoned by God. If Jesus from the cross felt abandoned by God, then why would we think today that we would be exempt from feeling like God has turned his back on us at times or forgotten us, and that causes us to be angry or confused or frustrated with him? And so let me walk you through today. If you're a note taker, I'm going to share with you four reasons that I believe that we get angry with God or we feel abandoned by God. Four things that maybe cause us to feel forsaken by God. Number one, the first thing is because God did not give us what we asked for. God didn't give us what we asked for. Now, very early in my walk with Jesus, um, I was reading the Bible one time. And let's say um, I didn't quite interpret the scriptures the way that Jesus always intended for them to be interpreted. This was, this was early on. Um, because I had found a verse that said, if two or three people will gather together and agree about something, it will be given to them. Right? You heard that verse? Right? And, and so I was like, I got it. Like, that's a magic formula. All I got to do if I want something is I've got to go out and find some idiot that will agree the same way that I agree. And, like, Jesus is my genie. A- a- anybody ever thought like that? Anybody ever? No, you don't want to admit it right now. I get it. Like, like I thought I had a verse that I was going to force on him. And I'm, I'm not making this up. Like, <laughs> people always ask me, do you make up these stories? Man, you can't make up this stuff. This is just how stupid I am. All right, so. This particular time, the Powerball was like $50 million. Anybody ever played the Powerball? Anybody? Sinners. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you promise God that you'll give all the money to the church, right? Because that's what we do. Um, so, so I found this guy, and I went out, and I said, listen, man, listen, listen, listen. Jesus said, if I prayed 
and you prayed with me, and we got into agreement, like we win the Powerball, man. We can, we can get it. Like it says it right here in Scripture. So do you agree? And he's like, oh, yeah, I agree. And so we prayed, and then we, <laughs> then we went out and bought 250 Powerball tickets. Now, I know that's where this illustration fall apart. Because if we really believed and we really agreed, we only would have had to buy one, right? And so, anyway, went out and bought 250 Powerball tickets, and we prayed over them, and we're agreeing over them, and the Powerball was on TV, and we watched it, and the numbers came out, and we didn't win a dime. Not on 250 tickets, didn't even win like $1, didn't even win a free ticket. And like, I literally prayed for something and it didn't happen, man. Looking back, um, I realized that I would have made my life a mess with 50 million Powerball money or dollars or whatever. Um, and so I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> and by the way, how many of you have ever asked God for something and then 5, 10, 15 years down the road, you said, thank you, God, for not giving me what I wanted? Yes, right? That guy or that girl in middle school that you don't even remember their name anymore? Right? This, this is, that's why the great theologian Garth Brooks wrote the song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, whatever. I don't, I don't even know it, really. But anyway, at the end of the day, sometimes we pray for things, and we really do believe we're going to get what we ask for, and when it doesn't happen, we get upset, we get frustrated. Now, th- that Powerball illustration is true and funny, but another illustration that's true and not so funny is when we find out we have a friend or a family member who's sick and dying. I had a friend years ago um, who found out that he had terminal cancer, just came on just like that. And I remember sitting in my office, and um, I remember him telling me about it. And I remember praying with him and his wife, and I remember being at their house and praying with them and, and, and their kids. And when he died a few months later, it was hard. It was confusing because he was young. He was a, he was a good dude. He was a good dad. He was a, he was a great friend. And there are people here that there has been something that has happened to you in your past, and nobody can explain it. And, and, and you had tried to pray through it, and, and you had wanted it to go a certain way, but it didn't go your way. And, 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 and there's no way that you can understand why God did what he did. In fact, every time a Christian tries to explain it to you, it doesn't bring you closer to God. It pushes you further away. But listen, don't miss this. Some tragedies, li- listen to me, I'm convinced will never be understood on this side of eternity. One of the verses, like, like this, isn't, this isn't like a magic verse. This isn't a verse that makes everything better. But for me... This is a verse that when, when I don't understand what Jesus is doing, um, this verse has really been helping me personally deal with things in the moment. Um, on the night that Jesus was killed, like before he was crucified, he's getting together with his, with his disciples and the apostles. He's, he's washing their feet. And Peter tells him, no, 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 no. I'm not going to allow you to wash my feet. I need to wash your feet. And, 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 and it's just kind of like this, this back and forth thing. And this phrase has meant so much to me lately. Jesus says this in John 13, verse 7. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Like this for me is a go-to verse when I don't understand what's going on. Jesus told Peter, hey, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And listen, later could be when we get to heaven. There are some things that, that happen to us that we may never know on this side of eternity. And listen, I'm okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with that because of who Jesus is. 
ultimately knowing that somehow, some way, he really does take things and uses them for good, whether we see it or not. L- listen, don't miss this. Just because I don't understand what Jesus is doing or what Jesus is not doing does not mean that Jesus is not good, right? So, so the first reason we get angry, though, I think, is because we don't get what we want. Number two is confusion. We get confused with God's plans. Now, before I was a pastor, I was a youth pastor. I loved being a youth pastor. Loved, loved, loved being a youth pastor. I would love to be a youth pastor again, but I'm old and not cool. Um, I, I don't know if I was cool back then. Anyway, was I cool back then? Yeah, I was cool back then. All right. So Mary says it, so it must be true. Not cool anymore, though. But I seriously loved working with kids um, because they were, they were so energetic, right? And they were, they were, like, way more energetic than adults, and they're way more honest than adults. It's awesome. They haven't quite learned how to be a hypocrite yet. And so it's really, really, really cool. Now, the downfall to youth ministry, the most difficult thing to deal with in youth ministry, hands down, the most difficult thing, and I will argue this till the day I die, any youth person, director, pastor, any volunteer, you've got to agree with this. The most difficult thing to deal with in youth ministry is teen dating. Because for some reason, teenagers think they find their one and only soulmate in junior high. And so as a youth pastor, one of the things you constantly have to deal with is breakups. And it's crazy because a teen will break up with another teen on a Sunday and they'll be back together on a Wednesday. And then you'll be like, what the heck is going on? And then on Thursday, they'll break up again, and they'll be with somebody new on Saturday, and they'll be fighting, and they'll be back and forth, and and, and it's just like this revolving door of confusion, and you don't know what's going on. This one time, um, this is one of those breakup times that I will never forget. Um, These two kids broke up, and when I said breakup, it was extreme. It was crazy. This guy was bawling, which first of all, like that's, that was like uh, new to me, because usually it was the girl crying, but this was a boy, and he was bawling, not crying, not shedding a little, little tear, I'm talking bawling, and the girl is standing over top of him, and she's like, you need to stop, I'm done, this isn't working, and he goes, he looks up at her, he goes, you, you mean it's, it's, it's over? And she says, yes, I am done with you. And he says, you, 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 can't, you can't be done. I, I, I love you. And I'm sitting there going, oh, dang. Dude, you shouldn't have said that. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, they don't train you for this in Bible college and seminary. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't even know what to do right now. And she says, well, I don't love you. And he goes, oh, this is a God true story. He goes, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't love me? And she said, no. And he said, then go to hell. I said, hold on, man. I'm no relationship expert. I've just been married like a couple of months at this point. Uh, but I'm pretty sure you can't say, I love you, and then go to hell in the next sentence. Like, that doesn't work anywhere. There's not like a greeting card for that, you know? Like, I love you. You open it up, go to hell. Like, that's not going to work on Valentine's Day. It's not going to work on your anniversary, a birthday. That's never going to work. Those are two opposite statements, right? 
And so that relationship, it didn't work out. They didn't get back together on Wednesday night or whatever. But it confused her, right? Do you love me or do you want me to go to a place that I can't go because I'm a Christian? Um, it, was, it was crazy. But thinking about that, that also happens in our relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you where we get confused in our walk with Jesus. The confusion statement is not, I love you, go to hell. It's, God is good and God is all-powerful. That statement confuses a lot of people, right? Be- because people say, if God is good and God is all-powerful, then Ryan, why do we have school shootings? If God is good and God is all-powerful, why are there terrorist attacks that kill innocent people? If God is good and God is all-powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is good and God is all-powerful, then why didn't he answer my prayer and heal my relative from cancer? Like, that's a question that's super confusing because we want to argue that if God is, if God is good and all-powerful, then he'll just eliminate all suffering, right? And, and so we begin to think things like, well, either God is good but not all that powerful or God's super powerful but he's not that good. And people get confused because of that. And because of that confusion, people begin to walk away. And I understand. I completely understand. But one of the things that I've realized through the Bible is God has never promised us that we in this world would not suffer. In fact, he guaranteed that we would. In John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not might have trouble. He says, you will have trouble. He's saying that. Don't, don't miss this. He was saying that to people, not to people who did not follow him, but to the people who were devoted to following him. He said, hey, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be difficulty in your life. There's another passage where Jesus said on the night before he was crucified in, in John 16, verse 16, he says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And, and right here, this confusing statement, he's talking to his disciples. They're at the Last Supper. He's telling them, guys, there's going to come a period of time where you're not going to see me anymore. But after that, you are going to see me. And they didn't know what he was talking about. What he was talking about was he was going to be crucified and put in the tomb. At that point, they weren't going to see him anymore. A lot of them didn't even see the crucifixion because they were running around hiding for their lives. They hid for the next several days. And, he, and then, he, then he raises from the dead. But listen, just because the disciples did not see Jesus, did that mean that Jesus was not at work, yes or no? No, he was at work. In fact, he was at work paying for the sin of the world. So just because we don't see God working doesn't mean he isn't working. In fact, some of the times that we can't see him working is actually when he's doing his best stuff. But listen, I understand the confusion of I'm dealing with some pain. I'm dealing, I'm dealing with some pain. Because the question that people have asked me is, Ryan, why doesn't God eliminate all of the evil in the world? If God is good and God is all powerful, why doesn't he eliminate all of the evil in the world? Well, the answer is real simple. If God decided to eliminate all of the evil in the world today at 3 o'clock, none of us would be here at 301. God's given us a mission. He's called us to step up and make a difference. At the end of the day, when it comes to pain and suffering in the world, we have to understand that God is still God, and God is still in control. I, I was reading some articles this week, and 
And there was one that, that a couple of them that stood out to me. But, but one of them was talking about when it comes to, you know, like the suffering and it comes to things like feeding and giving water to everybody in the world. Do you know that the world has enough resources to feed and water and give food and water to every human being? So maybe it's not God's fault. Maybe it's our fault at times. Maybe we need to step up. I, I read this article um, that was written by a guy named Gary Hogan. I think that's how you say his name. This, this quote is in your notes. Um, he's a part of an organization called International Justice Mission. They do um, social justice work to help rescue vic- victims of human trafficking. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and back in the 90s, in like 94, he was sent to Rwanda. The United States sent him over there to investigate the genocide that was happening. And this, this quote about pain and suffering in the world stood out to me. And I want to share this with you because uh, it's a great question. He says this, when you're standing in the mass grave in Rwanda, The question that came to my mind was not the question that was coming to everybody else's mind, perhaps. I've had people ask me, where was God in the midst of all of this? But I could sense, at least from Scripture, what I knew of my Heavenly Father was that I knew where God was. He was right in the midst of all that incredible suffering. The more relevant question for me was, where are God's people? Where are God's people? See, church, a lot of times the pain and the suffering in the world that we blame on God are really from the choices that people like you and me, at the end of the day, they're choices that, that we make. Decisions where we decide that we're not going to step up and we're not going to step in and we're not going to do anything. Listen, at the end of the day, God one day will take everything that's wrong and he will make it right. Until then, we're going to have pain and suffering in this world. And, and I would say that God is good. And God is all-powerful. And because those two realities exist, bad things can happen. But it doesn't change the fact that God is still God, that God is still good, and God is still all-powerful. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make the hurt go away. I get it. But that's the reality. Number three, third reason people walk away from God is misunderstanding. The other day, um, I was talking um, to a, a pastor friend, and, um, and we were thinking back through to an article that came out um, probably a, a, a few weeks, six or seven weeks into, into COVID um, when it first happened and the shutdowns and things like that. And we started talking about why people walk away from Jesus and, and from the church because of what they tend to understand or what they tend to believe that Jesus wants from them. Because see, sometimes people look at God and they think, he always wants me to do this, and he always wants me to do this, and he always wants me to do this. Uh, Let me explain to you what I mean. A a, a lot of people, when they get saved or when they become a Christian, it's kind of like, all right, now you're in the club, man. And now, because you're in the club, let me tell you about all the things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to read your Bible every day. Every day, you're going to have to read the Bible. We're going to start with one chapter a day, and then we're going to start three chapters a day, and we're finally going to get you up to five chapters a day. Because if you can read five chapters in a day, you can read the entire Bible in a year. And so for the rest of your life, that's what we need you to do. We need you to read the entire Bible every single year. Are you good with that? Yeah? Good. Awesome. Next, we need you to pray 30 minutes a day. 
30 minutes, that's where you start. And then you need to work your way up to an hour because God doesn't really listen to us in the first 30 minutes. It's the second 30 minutes where he really hears us. And so when you can get to an hour, man, you are an intercessor, and that is awesome. And so you're going to have to read your Bible and pray every single day if you're going to be a good Christian. You got that? Good. Next, I'm going to need you to volunteer every single week. And the more services you volunteer in, the more stars you get on your chart for heaven, okay? Got it? Good. Then, I'm going to need you to be a part of a small group. I'm going to need you to be in a small group and a Bible study. What's the difference? We don't know, but we need you to be involved in both. Small group, Bible study. Bible study, small group. Get involved, be in one of those. Every night there's something going on and you need to be at it. You good with that? Okay, I got it. Then I'm going to need 10% of your income every week, okay? 10% of your income, you got to bring it to the church. You good with this so far? Yeah? Awesome. Next, I'm going to need you to see your, your playlist. Give me your phone. Let me check out your Spotify. Oh, you got Metallica on here? We're going to have to get Metallica off and get Third Day in. You got to get rid of Metallica. You got to get rid of all the 80s hair metal. You got to get Third Day and Hillsong in there. Next, we need to see what you got on Netflix. Man, what are you watching on Netflix? That that show has nudity in it. You can't watch that. We're going to have to get that show out of there anymore. Can't watch that series anymore. We're going to have to get you, get some Disney in here. And you're going to have to watch Disney from now. What? We're boycotting Disney. Okay, can't have that. We got to get you this. You got to get something. And it's all about do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And, and, And people think I have to do so much to be a part of a church. I've literally, over the past several months, ran into people and had this conversation. Hey, man, I've been missing you at church. I, I, I don't I see you at church. Yeah. Sorry, Pastor, I just can't do it anymore. What, what can't you do anymore? All the stuff everybody keeps telling me I have to do. And you know what? I get that. I do. I really do. And when I hear that, and I feel that, it brings me back to these words that Jesus said because they're so awesome. Jesus came to an area of the world, Israel, that was incredibly religious. And I love what Jesus said because, listen, I, I don't think Christianity is supposed to be complicated. I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that it's not complicated. Um, I'm a simple person, man, so I need things to be incredibly simple. And we talk about it all the time here that Christianity is just simply a series of next steps. Every one of us has a next step to take in our journey with Jesus, and and all of our next steps look different. Your next step looks different than the person sitting next to you right now. We all have different next steps. And and I love what Jesus said. He's talking to a crowd of people, and he says this in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Now, now, let, let me explain this. He's talking to a bunch of people who were, don't miss this, they're weary and burdened from the expectations that were placed on them by religious leaders. They, they weren't weary and burdened and wore out from stuff like traffic, kids' soccer games, and the internet. No, 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 no. It was, it was by the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus said, if you're weary and burdened, like if religion is wearing you out, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more to do. Oh, he doesn't say that, does he? Doesn't say that at all. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which which is another word for saying my teaching. Take my teaching upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, church, if we're not finding rest for our souls, 
that it's highly likely that we're involved in a lot of religious activity, but we're not actually following Jesus. Jesus said, if we're following him, we'll find rest for our souls. He says, for my yoke, for my, for, for my teaching is easy, my burden is light. I love how this reads in the message translation. I'm not a fan of the message, but I like to, to read it in parallel versions and stuff like that. And so I, I don't encourage you that this is your study Bible or anything, but it's cool to, to see how things are written in it sometimes. And I love how this, this reads. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out by religion? <laughs> Anybody in that category? Notice my hand is up. Is anybody, anybody, are you tired, worn out, burned down in religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Church, that's the Jesus I want to follow. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Last but not least are, are people. We get upset, we get confused, we get angry, we feel abandoned by God because of the people of God. We've talked about this a bunch over the past several months. A lot of people walk away from God or they get angry, not because of God, but because of the, quote, people of God. Uh, Let me explain this like this. Um, Most of us, um, probably all of us, have a physical scar somewhere on them. Anybody have a scar? I'm not going to ask you where, all right, no, I don't care, but most of us in this room have a physical scar. I've got several scars. Um, I've got a scar on my ankle uh, from when I was five years old. When I was five, I was riding on the back of somebody's bike, and I got my foot caught in the bike spokes, um, almost lost my foot, spent a long time in the hospital, uh, got lots of stitches. Um, to this day, my parents won't let any of the grandkids or when we were growing up wouldn't let us have um, metal spokes on our bikes. We had to have plastic mag wheels, and it was crazy. Um, but, it was, but it was a scar that reminds me that wear shoes when I'm riding on the back of somebody's bike. Scars remind us of things. Um, I have some surgery scars. Um, I have a scar right here behind my ear that every time I go somewhere um, and get my hair cut by somebody new, they always ask me, do you know you have a scar behind your ear? And I always say, no, do I really? Like, like I do, I know, um, and there's a story to that one, but it's not church appropriate, so I can't tell you that one. Um, I, I've, got, I've got lots of physical scars, and if you've got a physical scar, um, you probably remember the details of where that scar came from, right? And, and, and in some instances, who gave you that particular scar? Well, just like we have scars physically, we have scars emotionally and spiritually, and they're just as real as the physical scars, Right? Just, just like our physical scars, we know the people who gave us emotional scars. We know the people who gave us an emotional or spiritual scars, right? Maybe there was a person that told you you can't come back to church. Or maybe a person told, told you that, that your mom or your dad or your friend or your brother or sister couldn't come back to church. Maybe you've been kicked out of a friend group. Maybe you've been told, hey, there's something wrong with you and because of that you can't be around us. I, I've met so many people who have walked away from Jesus, not because of Jesus, but because of the people who claim to follow Jesus. And if that's happened to you and you've got a bad church experience, you've got a bad church story where you feel like you were kicked out and excluded, I get it. And I'm not going to be the person to ever tell you, like, that didn't happen, get over it. I'm not going to tell you that it didn't hurt. Um, I get it. But what I am going to tell you is you need to keep pressing on. You and I, 
We need to keep pressing on, period. You say, Ryan, how in the world do we press on when the pain is so real? I'm glad you asked. I've been learning something. Um, anytime something happens that causes me to focus on pain, it takes me back to this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. L- look at this, verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, let us keep pressing on. Let's keep pressing on. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Anytime something happens within the realm of pain and hurt and other people, it's an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for me to just come back, recalculate, and fix my eyes on Jesus. Um, For this message, if you'll notice, most of the scripture I referred back today, John 13, John 16, Matthew 11, every one of those are the words of Jesus. And at the end of the day, I know a lot of people have turned their back on God because of change plans. I know a lot of people have turned their back on God because of confusion. I know a lot of people have turned their back on God because of other people. I know a lot of people have turned their back on God because they didn't get what they wanted. I know a lot of people have turned their back on God because of a lot of reasons, but I've never met anybody who turned their back on God because they got a really good view of who Jesus is. That's why we always have to allow his words, church, to recalculate us. I found this on Thursday, and I thought it would be a good way to close. Um, this thing called who is Jesus to me I don't know who the author is but it's really good because see we we hear about him all the time but I think when we begin to wrestle with pain and, and confusion and frustration that we should always remember this Jesus Jesus is the one who provides hope for those who have lost hope Jesus is the one who understands our despair and he will meet us there he's the one who feels our pain knows our need and wants what's best for us he is our light he is our source of strength He has mastered life, conquered death, overcome sin, and destroyed guilt. He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. One day he will take all the wrong and make it right. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right now, he's closer than you know. And I know some people may be thinking, Ryan, I'm not even sure I believe in God anymore. Well, the good news is you don't have to believe in him because he still believes in you. And he's proven it by helping us fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen, I don't know today where you are in your walk with Jesus. I don't know if you're closer to him than you've ever been. I don't know if you're wrestling with a why question. Why? Why, God, why'd you let this happen? Listen, I've said this over and over and over again in this series. If you're wrestling with that, tell him. Go ahead and tell him. We've been told in church, oh, you don't say things like that to God. I think God values transparency more than hypocrisy. I really do. And so if you're dealing with something, if you're struggling with something, it's okay to tell him. It's not like they're going to surprise him. And by the way, I really do believe that when we express those doubts, when we can express those concerns, when we can express those fears, he's able to meet us and recalculate us and help us take another step in our journey with Jesus. Let's stand, sing.